Good morning, everyone. I have all my stuff. Today's lesson is one I've been wanting to give for a while. Timing's never been really good, but it's one that, uh, one of those lessons that kind of dwells in my head, rolls around quite a bit. And finally, somebody says, you want to do one? And I'm like, yeah, this is the one that's been rolling around. So I do have a problem, and I appreciate Otis. Where did Otis go? There he is. His comments about memory this morning. I have a problem. I have no short-term memory. It is bad. You can ask my wife, it is bad. It's so bad when I, when I get up and I go I'm in the living room, I go to the kitchen, do my thing, walk back to my chair, sit down. I have to sit there and think for about 10 minutes. Did I do what I was supposed to do when I went to the kitchen? Because I know I got up to do something and I went to the kitchen and maybe did I do it or not do it? I sit there for about 10 minutes thinking about it and I get mentally weary so I take a nap. Then about a week passes, then I remember, oh yeah, I was supposed to put the milk up. That's what it was. But hopefully somebody's already done that for me. But you're not off the hook either. My, my, my lovely wife, the other morning, I said, Lisa, have I done this lesson before? She goes, well, it doesn't matter. She goes, and I said, well, I don't remember. She goes, well, it doesn't matter if you remember or not. She goes, because... You know, as long as it's good lessons, fine. Besides, they won't remember it either. So she threw you under the bus as well. So that, that whole image of memory at my house is horrid. I mean, I, I walk in the kitchen and just stand there admiring the paint at times. I got no idea why I'm in there. One of my favorite movies, well, it's not my favorite movie, but it's one of my favorite scenes, and I've mentioned this before, there is... Uh, Remember the movie Forrest Gump? Bubba Gump Shrimp, right? There's a scene in that movie where Lieutenant Dan has come to visit. And Lieutenant Dan is on the boat, right? And a storm comes up and Lieutenant Dan is there and he, he's, he's effectively challenging God. You know, he's, he's sitting there, where are you, God? And... He sits there and screams, and the storm gets violent, and eventually it all calms down. And, but that scene where he's doing that is like, you know, that's a great message. It's a great scene for most people. Where are you, God? Well, I started thinking about that. I really didn't. I've never had a problem of discovering where God was at. I knew, kind of knew that. But here's, here's the question that rose when I was... Oh, my teens uh, learning, probably at the peak of my learning, and that's really saying something. At the peak of my learning, the question came out about, where is Jesus? This question came up in my mind. And so, you know, because I lived in a culture where people, ethnic culture, where people called on Jesus. And... The things you saw, the poetry that you would read, 
would talk about Jesus being with. And I was a little, well, I'd say confused. I just didn't know where Jesus was at. Now, this may not be a problem for you. Maybe you've got it all figured out in terms of being taught. I was young, did not know. So it wasn't until I went to college and started really searching the scriptures and seeking some deeper understanding that, you know, I, I think I understand. So I wanted to go over some of that. Now, the answer to where is Jesus, I think is fairly clear. If I were to poll every one of you, where would you say, and this is going to be some crowd involvement, sorry you guys out there in YouTube land or wherever land you're at, where is Jesus? Somebody tell me. Heaven, hearts. Everywhere. That's a good answer. Right hand. Oh, I love that answer. The right hand of God. He cheated. He's pointing to his grandma. But when you think about it, where does Scripture tell us Jesus is? You ever think about that? Because you see it a lot. You see it around everywhere. Even Jesus himself tells us where he's at. So where should we think he's at? Mark 16, 19, 20, or verse 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. This was after giving the apostles their great commission, as we call it. And Mark says that uh, Jesus said himself that he was taken up into heaven. Or that this instance occurred right after Jesus had spoken to them. Jesus before the council, Luke chapter 22, verse 66 through, 70, through 71 is where it's located. And I have a lot of passages today, but I want to make it clear, okay? Because sometimes it's not clear, but it's pretty clear. Luke chapter 22, when the day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together. So Jesus is before the council, right? This is before the admission that he, he is the I am. So you can see the attitude in the room as Jesus approaches the council. The elders and people were gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away into their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. We'd like to know. But then he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of power of God. Or did Jesus say he was, or was going to be real soon? At the right hand of God. Then he goes on to say, you know, I am. And this gets them irritated. And they want to kill him. Right? And shortly his death follows in, in Luke. Peter's sermon, the first sermon in Acts 2. We know the end verses, but here the, here's the front half. This Jesus God raised up, and, uh, and of that we are witnesses. So we have witnesses now. Where is Jesus? We've got witnesses. We have a group of men 
inspired by the Spirit, is going to tell us where Jesus is. Before therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured this out that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So the Spirit has come upon them, and they've already witnessed the ascension of Christ. Right? We know what that word means. It means he left and went up. Right? And so, seeing and hearing, for David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he's sitting there telling the crowd. Jesus himself is now at the right hand of God. We, we witnessed this ascension. This is where he's located. We know the rest, right? They were cut to the heart. When they heard this message, they're like, oh, that's where our Savior is. And what shall we do? In Acts 5, verse 30, uh, 30 and 32. Again, you know, the apostles are always escaping from things. They've escaped from prison, and they're before the same council in Jerusalem. In Acts 5, verse 30, it says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is, and this is important, the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Yeah, we have a little wrinkle in this. We know that Jesus has essentially been taken, okay, left and gone away. But something has been deposited where he was, this earth. Here is telling us though that so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. We have that deposit if you will. Acts 7. I can't read the whole thing because I, I get dust in my eyes every time I read this passage. Acts 7 is the, what we, the account of the stoning of Stephen. That is one chapter I think we should visit regularly. Acts 7 verse 44. Now when they had heard these things and they were enraged, they ground their teeth at him. But Stephen, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. They said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. My only wish for me and you is that one day we see the same thing. Romans 8, verse 31. Well, it's in 31 through 39. I'm going to read verse 34. 
Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Not only is he up there, he's not playing dominoes or whatever card game you play at home. That's not what he's doing. He's still in charge. He still has power. Yet, here it tells us he's interceding for us. In class this morning, we talked about the sin of the world. The world. I can't imagine, I can't imagine Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, just carrying my sin around. But he's carrying the world's sin from the beginning to the end. And he, if you can imagine that, then you can see why he still has to intercede for us. We just keep on sinning. But he's taking care of that. Well, when I got to college, see, I, I knew these things, okay? I knew them, but there's, there was one passage that kind of threw me. So when I got to college, this is the key passage to me that, that taught me, oh, I must be interpreting this passage incorrectly. Hebrews 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's pretty clear. In verse 4 it says, Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is far more excellent than theirs. Well, that's really interesting. Brother Hyatt just last week, week four, talked about angels, didn't he? And in the study of Hebrews, you get to the point where you discover that angels are effectively ministering spirits to whom? To us, right? And their mission, if you will, their duties are involved on earth with us. You believe in guardian agents? I'll mimic what he said. Yes. I believe. Because it tells us that's what they're there for. But when you study Hebrews, you get to the point of understanding that well, if that's angels. Jesus is way up here. And where is this way up here? It's at the right hand of God. That's where he dwells. Now, these two passages, they're short, but these are lanyat. These, I, well, they're kind of in there for a reason. But I'm going to give them to you. John 14, 23, Jesus answered them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Catch that? My father will love him, and we, that we as the father and the son, will come to him and make our home with him. Takes a little understanding. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, we're not going to get in the deep discussion of, of delineating 
God. But one thing I do know is that the Holy Spirit is God. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is God. That's what I'm looking for. And so, I do know that he dwells within us. And some aspect, again, where is the line cross of who God and Jesus and the Spirit is? I have no idea. But I do know that they dwell within us. Because if you wrap it in the name of the Spirit, that's who's dwelling in us. Well, so I had the, what I call the key, right? That The Hebrews passage. I knew that Jesus had to be above. Okay? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a college student. Man, I figured this out. Had to be above. Right? So, there was a problem. The problem I'd run into in my entire childhood and even people in college, and even people in church, the congregations I've been to over the years, they kept quoting this passage. And I'm still a little confused about it. Here's the passage. Matthew 18, 20. Listen to me. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Ever heard that passage? I had grown up hearing that passage. Never understood it. Okay? Because I really didn't have to at the time. But as I grew older and kind of saw what it was saying, then I'm like, oh, I see what it's saying, but my whole life has, I've been taught something else. You may have been taught this. You may have been taught, you know, we're a soul, and if two of us happen to bump into each other at Walmart, there Jesus is. Or maybe there's three of you that actually bump into each other at Walmart. And there Jesus is. Does that fit the scripture that was the scriptures we just read? Jesus has his hand full, has his hands full of interceding for us and, and keeping the world spinning on its axis and, and keeping nature going and all this. Um, I'm not saying that God isn't omniscient, omnipresent. But is that really what happens? Because all these other passages are telling me, and the verbiage we use, Jesus came. He rose, he died, was buried, he arose, and he ascended. We use that verbiage all the time. We use the verbiage that he's going to one day descend Return back to earth. I got, I understood that. Because that means that Jesus is up there. And then one day he's coming back. 
So the passage threw me for, you know, I had, I had to figure this out, right? It's one of those things that bothered me for years. Well, the solution was really simple. The solution was not to take it out of context. And maybe you're, we were not the only ones. As I Googled, uh, everyone knows that during the morning, that's when I study, and, and I Googled this passage. And this passage, there is a book written about the, the, the 10 most misused scriptures in the Bible. This is one of them. This has really... Now, this is the point where, you know, you guys say, this boy's cheese slipped off his cracker because what is he talking about? This passage has nothing to do with how, how many people are gathered. Okay? We got your attention? Has nothing to do with that. The solution is really simple. Go with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 starts by the disciples coming to Jesus and wanting to know who was the greatest. Who was the greatest in the kingdom? And he just... He gets a child and, and gets the child and comes up to him and says, unless you become like an innocent child, unless you humble yourself, okay, like this child, you, you're not going to enter the kingdom. And so he, he talks about people here. He's talking about people. More importantly, he's talking about conflict. The thing that we hate. Conflict. He says, uh, let's see, what do you think? This is in verse 12. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does not he leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that he went astray? The one that went astray? Well, Chris, what is he talking about? Well, you have a brother or sister that for some reason, you're at a distance. That some reason may be you. That some reason may be them. That some reason may be the, the situation. But that brother or, distant or sister are afar from you. Don't, wouldn't you leave everything else that was precious to you, that 99, and go seek that brother or sister. Well, if you've ever owned livestock, if it's a chicken, a sheep, a duck, a cow, you would go. You would go seek that one that's lost because it's not whole without it. My herd, my... my whatever, flock, cluck, I don't know what they're called, is not whole without that one. So I desire to have that one with me, so I go out and search for it wherever I can. 
Again, it may not be your fault that that one is left. It may be the fault of that one that went out on its own. Because there's 98, there's 99 sheep that even though the fence was down, they stood right there. But that one decided, well, I don't agree with the 99, so I'm going to wander off. I don't agree with the master and what he's doing. You know, the grass is greener over there, so I'm going to wander off. Later on in the chapter, verse 21, it says, Peter came up and said to them, Lord, how often, or said to him, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? You see Peter there going, there's got to be a limit. I'm required to you know, forgive him once, twice, but seven times, Lord, as, as many as, you know, anybody is obligated to forgive my brother or sister, how much do I have to do it? And Jesus says, I do not say seven times, but 70 times seven. Forgiveness. And not, not only that, it goes on in the passages and says, you know, the master, this is again the, the unforgiving servant, right? He wouldn't forgive the servant that the other servant that owed him, and he wanted his master to forgive him. He's, he's going on to say that, you know, there is going to be no grace. For that one servant who does not forgive. Verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do every one of you. Will do to every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. He will remove you from his presence. Back to the passage that started all this, Matthew 18, 20. The passage is, starts in verse 15, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him. Go and tell him his fault. Start a discussion. Start the discussion between you and him, and if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You have gained that one sheep that has wandered off for whatever reason. Unless you're like the child and he becomes humble or you become humble, it probably won't happen. But if you do, look, you have gained your brother back. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother, but if he does not listen, Humbleness 
has not occurred. Take more than take more than one. Take somebody else with you. Show them, and this is where it gets difficult. Show them mercy and humbleness together so you can bring your brother or sister back. They were familiar with the old law. They knew about witnesses and take the other witness with them so that they could get their property back or get their brother or sister back or whatever it was. They knew that. They knew the law. Do the same. Go get your brother and sister back with somebody else. But if he does not listen, or sorry, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. That's a tough one, isn't it? Tell it to the church. Tell it to the congregation. Why? Do we want that person back? Yes. The answer should be yes. We, as those 99, look at that one far off and go, where is he? Where is she? Why is this happening? We don't understand it because we want to be whole. God wants you to be whole. Tell that the church have refused to listen even to the church. Let him to be you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Frankly, it's because after the point of showing your humbleness and wanting and desiring your brother and sister to return to you, if it can't happen, it's, it's been up to them that they have rejected it and don't want to return. It's a terrible, terrible situation. You can ask the elders in this room. It's nothing you want to stomach. But then he says something amazing. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Huh. You mean my actions, how I felt about that person, will be accounted to me in heaven? That's what it sounds like. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Do you see that? If you can agree, whatever conditions you put in it, however you come together, your Father wants that to happen, and it will be approved by Him. And then comes that passage that I was so concerned about. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. 
When is Jesus going to make his presence known? It's when you're at conflict with a brother or sister and all of heaven, all of the church wants them to be together. Wants that person reconciled unto them. It's such an occasion, it's such, frankly, I hate to say the word, it's such division that Jesus says he will make his presence known. Jesus will make an appearance, if you will. The only thing I can liken it to is Stephen. When he sits there and he says, I see the Son of Man standing. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Why not sitting? He stood for Stephen. There to comfort him. To welcome him into his grace. This is why Jesus would appear and make his presence known to two or three of us. I hope we never have to get in that situation. But if you are in that situation, if you are in that situation, quit it. Because we love you. It's not because we we take sides. It's because we love you and we want you back in the church. God wants you with the church. This separation is kills the relationship. This separation kills the things that we work about all the time within the church. It goes contrary to the church and the congregation. This is why our Lord would make an appearance. Is to have you back in with a good relationship with your brother and sister or your brothers and sisters, whichever the case may be. Didn't say it would be easy. Because if you think about it, the power that Jesus holds at that moment could hold in your life, could establish your destiny. Because if you don't accept the humbleness, you don't accept the spirit, you're going to be like that unmerciful servant. It's a terrible way to be. So I hope when you think about this passage, the next time you hear something about this passage, you know it's because of great conflict, but it's because of great resolution. It's because of a great reconciling that we can bring, call on the power of God, if you will, to help us reconcile this person to us, to myself.
1 Peter 3, verse 21 and 22. It says, Baptism, which corresponds to this now, saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just like that person is being, receives the gospel for the first time and has in good conscience a relationship with God. Our conscience should be weighed by not having that animosity between brother and sister relieved. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Again, for those maybe not in, that are not Christians. Having God within you, having the Spirit within you, is what connects us to our Father. Jesus did all of this for us so that we could be connected to the Father and be loved, be taken care of, be part of his body. Ephesians 2, 4, and 6. But God, being rich in mercy, unlike that unmerciful servant, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were dead in sin. We didn't have Christ. We didn't have hope. But we were dead. Made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him. Even the reverse is true. If we have Jesus and God within us, the spirit within us, we have been raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You think how... Do you understand how large your spirituality is? Your faith is? If it's true, Jesus and God dwell in you, you dwell in the highest places of heaven. Where Jesus is. Colossians 3, 1 and 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seeking the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on these things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Well, that seems pretty simple. But it's pretty difficult. Wipe these things away that are holding me back. Holding me down. I want to be a Christian, but... I like things too much. I like my status. I don't like to be embarrassed. I don't want to have people that have control over me. I don't want to be subject to God. Don't let them hold you back. Set your minds on things above. Again, those filled with the Spirit, filled with God and Jesus, tells us we dwell with Him, the right hand of God. 
Our spirit, that spirit that is joined with his, is where we're at, is where we should be. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Amen? Where would I be if my life wasn't hidden with Christ? You would see my awful sin. You would see my... You would see that I'm not a good person. You would see that I'm just like everybody else out in this world. But my life is hidden with Christ. Hidden. You can't distinguish. This is the amazing part. You can't distinguish Christ's life and my life. Isn't that mind-blowing? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. There's that dissension. There's that coming that we talk about. When He does come, we're going to join Him in return to heaven. There's a lot of this message, but I want to leave you with this. If you want to be part of something, and I say something very lightly, because it's, if you want to be part of God, if you want Jesus, the Spirit, to be in your life, that one day, when he does return, you can join him in the heavenly places. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to see for yourself what all these people here enjoy. And I do enjoy it. I love every one of you. Second, if you're caught in this situation and Frankly, you need to quit. This is an opportunity. If either is the case, we want to love on you and we want to pray for you and we want to make every opportunity to help you get closer with your Savior. Would you please come as we stand and sing?